Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Stop, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Peter Sellers and George C. Scott. My name is Cameron Tuttle. I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I am, uh, I am learning to be more disciplined in my life, Cameron. Things are good. That's good. Things are good. good. You know the the concept of discipline is one of the most frustrating concepts. Let me just let me just go on a little rant here before we talk about <laughs> about film. Although maybe some of these themes apply to the ideas in the film. Yeah, maybe somewhat. Maybe I don't know discipline. Um, but what's frustrating to me about discipline is that it seems like it's a limiting factor. And so many people say, "Oh, discipline is freedom. It like liberates you." But it's like, dang, if discipline means not eating this whole pizza. You know, I'm lose. I'm kind of missing out because sometimes eating a whole pizza <laughs> is awesome. You know what I mean? It it, it sure. can be awesome. You know, um, and needless to say, you know, uh, I feel much better. I've been a little bit more disciplined in my diet, in my waking up, in just my management of work. Uh, had a crazy week last week where we launched a website um, for my comp- for the company I'm working for, and that was a total disaster. Um, but it somehow came together. Uh, but I'm feeling a little optimistic. I'm feeling um, I'm feeling like I'm able to tackle some things, and I feel actually less stressed being a little bit more disciplined. So if that helps you in your life, uh, take it for free. Cameron, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm doing all right. I'm feeling less and less disciplined as the days goes, go on, but, um, you know, that's okay. I, I feel like... I feel like it comes in waves for me. Sometimes I uh, am way better than other times, but you know, it's it's uh, it'll come. It'll come to me. I also I let usually... it, I let discipline hit me in the head uh, to to bring me back in. You know. Yeah. Don't forget. You know. Usually, my picture of discipline is like you know a teacher hitting me on the hand with rulers, as if I'm a child in a classroom in the 1920s. <laughs> like I know what that was like, but. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, sometimes people talking about discipline is it's, it's obnoxious, but one that, that phrase, right. Discipline is freedom, man. It's been, it's been punching me in the gut because it's been helping me lately. So, um, I apologize if you want to throw your phone across the room after listening to this being like, (laughs) why are they telling me about, I just wanted to hear about a movie, you know, I get it. But uh, Cameron, you know, there's, there's a piece of wisdom I always think about from you that that rings in my head kite like like very often actually and it's like your voice too uh cameron's famous if you've known him he said this around you he says everything in moderation including moderation (laughs) you remember that (laughs) yeah of course so uh you know every once in a while you gotta eat the pizza all right yeah i think that's i think that's true i mean i said it so i hope so (laughs) cameron what have you been watching dude um let's see i have really not been watching much um i actually had a very busy week too last week although punctuated by um undisciplined spouts of of elden ring (laughs) um (laughs) which you know (laughs) elden ring equals freedom i guess for me okay all right um not really i i actually beat elden ring and i'm i'm kind of i kind of got to a point of uh, not oversaturation but Really, like, uh, I'm like, yeah, I, it might be oversaturation because I, I feel very content with 
where I left off and sort of what I, you know, what I did, my experience with it. But I'm not like, I started up another character because I wanted to explore some of the other mechanics that I didn't get to try the first time. Um, and, you know, I got probably, I don't know, a couple hours in and I was like, okay, like, I don't know if I'm like as hooked on it as I, as I was, you know, the first time playing through. So, um, maybe I'll go back and sort of casually play, but I don't, I don't know if I'll be quite so, um, (laughs) viciously hooked to it as I, as I was, but I was so, I was really frustrated with the last couple of bosses. Um, and it, 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 I, I think it kind of negative, negatively affected my experience with it. Um, because some of the, actually the last, so it's, it's not the last three. It's like, you know how all the Dark Souls games, they have the double bosses, you know, the two phase bosses right, and whatnot. Right. It's like the the first, you know, the the third last one. And then I was happy with the first sort of first phase of the final boss. And the second phase, I think, is absolute garbage. I think it's a terrible boss. Um, the fight is not fun. Uh, I didn't like it at all. So um, that was my that's my hot take about about Elden Ring. But uh, anyways, hopefully I will, I will get over that addiction. I've been, I've been weaning myself off, you know, uh, trying to get back into, <laughs> into movies maybe. That's good. That's good. You know, I, um, I've actually found myself in a lull with gaming and I've been watching more things, um, which I've never had that in my life. I think it's just, I've been too exhausted or too frustrated to play stuff lately. Um, the most that I've invested in his lego star wars in the last few weeks it's pretty brain dead fun so i'll I'll play it sometimes with glenn um i've recently downloaded um a bunch of games like in hopes to find something that's gonna hook me again i think i'm frustrated not having a next-gen console which it's just like i i mean i would be playing returnal but i can't and i would be playing a lot of next-gen games but i can't so it's like I'll be playing Call of Duty and I've actually, um, because you've been talking about Elden Ring, I started playing Dark Souls 1 again uh, just because I was like, why not? You know, I gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through this game. Um, and so I'm having some fun with that. But yeah, the game, the gaming for me has been pretty, pretty minimal and I've been watching uh, more than I've been playing. Um, you know, Jules has been watching Walking Dead, which is fun. She just finished season two and I've been watching some of it with her here and there. So it's it's been interesting to see how the budget goes up and the violence goes up. And she just got past um, a pretty important reveal at the end of season two. And I think it's kind of, you know, that's sort of like peak of The Walking Dead where the drama's, you know, yeah. at, at top notch. You know, what's in the barn, all that stuff. There's there's some fun, some fun <laughs> bits in there um, that I had forgotten about. So it's been fun to do that. And I'm kind of trudging my way still through Game of Thrones. I'm. I think halfway through season five. Um, I don't even really know why I'm still watching it, to be honest. <laughs> um, like it's, I think it's comfort food. I think the thing I've been enjoying about it is that it's so expensive looking for TV. Um, yeah. And it, and, it, and the drama and elements of the show, it makes me feel like, uh, I've felt with a lot of other shows where it's like you just 
every episode ends on a cliffhanger. Every episode is like that. Oh my goodness. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's genuinely starting to feel like a cartoon network show, uh, to some degree, uh, just because there, there are elements that are so juvenile in terms of the explicit content. And then it also always ends with that feeling of like, I literally like, I just, I have no idea what's going to happen next. It's like, I can't imagine someone trying to watch like Avatar The Last Airbender, like on Nickelodeon, where like they play four episodes in a row back to back and then they just stop, you know? And that show doesn't even have big cliffhangers. So I can't even imagine if someone was watching this on TV. Um, I would have been like way done with the show if I didn't have full access to it. Um, but I got to say, yeah, that's how, that's how I feel about a lot of TV, actually. Sorry to cut you off. But, no, no, no. Um, I, I went through so many phases of watching the first season of a TV show and then just falling off a cliff with it because I couldn't, couldn't manage to, to, you know, to get reinvested in those characters. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. I think as soon as I burn out with the show, I'll probably try to find another game to really dig into. Um, I'm not really sure if I want to keep exploring some TV stuff because it just keeps going, you know? I feel yeah. like the the experience is very... Um, it, it just... It is such a time sink. But at the same time, there's really nothing else I want to be doing right now. So that's kind were of where you I'm a, stuck. Were you a Breaking Bad fan? Did you... You never got into it, right? I watched, like, some of the pilot... I don't even know if I finished the pilot. I just wasn't that interested in it. So uh, I think sh- you got to I think that's the next thing you got to watch. It's it's way better than Game of Thrones. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know, I I'm sure there will be a time where I get into it. Maybe we'll do it for this this show. Um, but it, w- it would be I think it would be fun to to watch some of Breaking Bad with the retrospect on it. Um yeah, so and I also know a lot of people like Ozark. I've uh, been kind of interested in checking out Ozark. Um there's a few there's a few series that I'm I'm kind of like maybe the, the only thing about some of these like serious dramas is that they all seem to be very like extremely dark uh and and I don't know, like I'm just kind of like I wish there was just an epic, you know, or or something like less depressing and a little bit more hmm still like exciting like a, a sense of adventure because those are the, th- those are the things that i like the most about game of thrones is seeing the people walk across the vistas and the conversation i don't care about how depressing and evil everyone is like i want to <laughs> i want more of that like sword fighting adventure sort of thing um i'm mm-hmm. not drawn into any of the weird dark stuff in the show i'm just not like i'm just just mostly disturbed by those elements and more excited about like what's happening with the wars and, and, and some of the political drama and stuff. So yeah, I I'm kind of done talking about it on this show. So I apologize if you, if you hate hearing about it, I don't know what else I'll say. Maybe I'll talk about it when, um, if, and when I finish it or when I drop off, I, the only other thing I want to talk about is I started rewatching the Batman, which is on HBO. If you, if you wanted to see that, you can just stream it now. Um, and my second viewing is much better. I know I did a review with Juzo wasn't a big fan of it. The first time I saw it, I think a lot of that had to do with sitting very close to the screen on opening night. Uh, if you watch this film, you'll notice that the cinematography has some of the highest bokeh 
Uh, like it's just like the focus pulling is extremely aggressive it's actually comical and so i think this plus sitting like in the front row it yeah, made it yeah, like yeah. almost unwatchable um, that could be pretty disoriented yeah sure. and and so like watching it this time like kind of further back i can see the whole screen right um i was just kind of like wow this is very and nothing's in focus ever. Like, or I mean, <laughs> things are in focus, but they're like just so like they they play with focus so much. It's like the only thing that I guess is really exciting to whoever's doing the cinematography. So um, I don't hate it as much as the first time. I think it feels like a Batman setting, and I don't know what else it's trying to say besides that. It's definitely it definitely nails the setting of Batman, the grit of Gotham. Glenn, I was watching it with Glenn and he was like, this reminds me of the Arkham games. Man, those games are awesome. But we weren't really that invested in the story because it's not the best story. So I I, I don't know. Like to me, it's like the story is a little bland and boring um, compared to its setting. Well, I've, so, got, I've got bad news for you maybe uh, okay. because you mentioned the cinematographer of, uh, of the Batman. Um, he, <laughs> uh, was also the cinematographer for Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you, you kind of mentioned that you really liked that, uh, that look of that movie. So, um, he did something different, I guess, that, that did, you didn't like. Uh, his no. name's Greg Frazier, by the way. No, 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 I mean, like his work in Dune is different than the Batman, right? It's yeah, not that I have sure. anything against the cinematographer. It's just the choice in the film. Yeah. Yeah. I think... The idea is to pull you like like pull your focus in to like a lot of the little details. And I think you get a feeling of like detective work in mm. the movie, but the detective work that's in the movie is so stupid in my opinion. Like it's it really <laughs> it really is like not I've heard that criticism too, yeah. It's like there's no mystery, really. Yeah. There is yeah. no reveal on who's doing what. It's just a it's just like Batman being like the answer is Apple and the guy is this guy that we don't like it's just the Riddler is the Riddler. And and I was like, well that kind of defeats like a lot of the excitement <laughs> of any mystery, you know? Like it's just it it feel it feels very empty. I was I was waiting for um kind of one of the Nolan reveal like like in the Dark Knight Rises when I don't remember like Bane's girlfriend daughter like that wild reveal that makes no sense in the Dark oh, Knight it's, Rises it's uh it's uh uh what's her name something al ghul she's yeah. um Ra's al ghul's uh daughter yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah, like yeah. I, i'm raz al ghul's <laughs> daughter that you i i was the i climbed out of the pit too or something yeah it wasn't yeah there, you know <laughs> uh that that like i wanted a crazy reveal like that like i wanted the uh and i i said this on the review but it was like i wanted like catwoman to be the riddler like it would have been awesome it would have been so good, like if there's this crazy twist, and instead it's just like it is the the Riddler is the Riddler, the Penguin is the Penguin, and Catwoman is Catwoman, and that's like there's not really much more than that. So I think I think that the Batman because it's it's been greenlit I think for a sequel, right? It probably it, it can it has a lot it can do 
with the setting and and the feeling and stuff. But I just wonder if anyone's going to do anything with it. Um, so uh, or, or anything of of actual interest besides this is Batman and Batman is a vibe because that's kind of how the movie feels. So, I mean, if you're looking for that, you're probably going to love it. But um, I mean, I don't know, like. I like Batman. People are into Batman. I just, I just, it's hard when the last ones were so good, so deep too. And it's hard when not the last ones because that would include Batman v Superman and the Justice League. Oh so. well, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, we know what I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's hard. The buy-in is so hard. Three hours is such a long movie that it's it's really tough to. Uh, to convince me, especially as someone who is a Batman fan and a Robert Pattinson fan, I I couldn't be bothered to watch this movie uh, primarily because it's so long. I just can't. And it's on HBO now. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to watch it. Dude, like I mean, literally I, within the first 20 minutes, Glenn was, I was like, Hey, some of the criticism goes to like the editing of the film and Glenn just watching it in the first 20 minutes. He was like, Dude, this movie needs to get going. Like he, he was like, he was like, it's just they just take so much time on things that aren't that important. Like it yeah. really could have been saved with some editing. Um, everything that it keeps, uh, it, it really should have put some things on the chop. It feels like they really just didn't want to edit anymore. They're like, oh, it's three hours and it makes sense, so let's be done with it. You know, like. And yeah, that that bo- that bothers me a little bit. Yeah, but um, well, speaking of you know getting things going, that's what we should do. Yes, this is Cinema Spectator. You can support us at Patreon.com/slash/ECFSProductions. Throw a couple dollars our way, get exclusive content uh, that's dropped infrequently, but mostly monthly. Uh, we'll just be upfront with you. You can have your questions submitted to the show. You can DMs or DM us on Patreon and have your questions read. That's for you patrons who are subscribed and for those of you who want that benefit. If you don't have a few dollars, it's all good. You can support us on iTunes, Spotify by giving us a rating. I don't think Spotify has ratings, but the ratings really help. Uh, whatever platform you're listening on and sharing the show with friends and family, all that stuff helps our little production grow. So we appreciate you guys being here. We really thank you for your time listening to these reviews. Cameron, we're going through Stanley Kubrick month. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this film because I've never seen it and take us into it, man. I, I have no idea where we're going with this. Yeah. So Dr. Strangelove is a movie, a, uh, I would say a cold war satire, um, part comedy, part thriller, uh, part war movie about a, an American general who sort of, uh, triggers a, a nuclear, nuclear first strike against the Russians, um, and the uh, frantic plan to try to get it stopped uh, before it's too late. And this movie came out in 1964, um, kind of peak Cold War fear era. Um, uh, before Vietnam, only slightly, but yeah, before Vietnam. Uh, and this was like right at the tail end of both the um nuclear capacity when it came to you know the russians versus the americans and the um lack of cohesion around sort of what what people you know what what everybody thought about sort of the 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 war narrative for the you know the nuclear scare and so i i think it was 
it was very clear in this time period that people were extremely worried about the threat of nuclear war um, and about something like this in, in maybe less uh, strange and um, uh, <laughs> absurd terms, but something like this actually happening. So I think this was a movie born out of not only Kubrick's uh, fear about you know, n nuclear holocaust, but I think generally all of America's fear about um, nuclear war. And so it uh, it satirizes sort of inept um, generals and the relationship that they have between each other and um, the Russians. And I think it's a very, very funny movie. One of his, I think it's his only funny movie, actually, and it's it's a it's a surprising for me it's a surprising reveal on uh Kubrick as sort of his it, this was like the last time he ever allowed any fun into any of his movies um <laughs> and i think it it it's perfectly fitting that it would be this movie where the stakes are as high as basically you know the end of the world um that that is where he would be able to poke fun at at things and sort of make jokes, make light of certain things. Um, and in Kubrick's catalog, I think this is definitely his most. Um, I think it's probably his least divisive movie. Um, it probably wasn't back in the day, but I think now people looking back at it, I think it's pretty universally loved in terms of, you know, within the Kubrick catalog. Um, partially, I think because it is very relatable. Um, and I think it's, I think the people having it be a satire is, is fine for a Kubrick movie because he, um, he already is very distant with his characters. So having them be heightened versions of themselves really works in this case. Um, but in, in a lot of his other movies, you know, that is distancing for people. And I think this one, it wraps them in sort of the absurdity of the, of, of the topic and the absurdity of, of the solution in many cases. Um, and it makes everything funnier. Um, this is like the closest Kubrick gets to being a, a Billy Wilder movie, basically. <laughs> like, I think, I think, you know, Wilder was still making movies at the time, but um, you know, he, he could have basically made this movie too. I, I think it's, I think it's similarly, um, kind of zany and strange and very funny. Um, but I, I want to get your thoughts on it. And I think it's in, interesting to think about in terms of, of the Kubrick catalog, I guess, um, this is a very odd movie of his. It, it it's very it's not very serious, but um, all of his other movies kind of are. And so I I want to get your thoughts about this as as sort of a one break from seriousness that that Kubrick has. Well, as far as comparing this work to his other work that we've watched, uh, for context, if you didn't listen to. The last episode, we watched Paths of Glory. I've seen um, Full Metal Jacket. I've seen The Shining. I've seen Odyssey. And I 
think that's it. That's it. But, yeah, that's it. Um, so I've seen some Kubrick films, and yeah, I I think it's it's good for artists to kind of stretch their legs in in other places because I I believe that it makes them better at factoring in some of those elements into other films when it's needed. I mean, famously like horror needs a lot of comedic relief and, and or that could is, have, I wouldn't it, say it needs, but it, it, it definitely could have comedic yeah. relief. That, that tension and release through horror, at least for me is it's like a personal love. I think, I think horror movies that do that, they're usually winning me over pretty quickly and I don't even like horror films that much. Um, and I, and I totally see that in his work with the shining, uh, which is a very dark and creepy film, but there's also this sense of kind of exploration and wonder in that movie. That's met Mm -hmm. by some pretty, pretty, uh, iconic and also like sort of wild centric, like, uh, imagery that I believe is somewhat humorous. I, I don't know. Like I think there's a little, there's like a tiny, a couple tiny flashes of humor in The yeah. Shining that are very, very, very Kubrick in the way that you can't really tell if they're supposed to be funny. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I think this movie is a preparation to put like those very concentrated shots into The Shining. And that's, I think that's what makes The Shining like such an excellent film but he had to make a movie like this to kind of learn what hit and what what didn't. For me, this film was not too funny. Um, I I didn't really smile very much in this film, which I was surprised by. I was just kind of like staring at it is how I felt most of the time. I was invested in what was going to happen if the planes were going to stop, going to be stopped. There were scenes in this film that I thought were just fantastic. Um, but really strange love to me is the experimental ground in the context of Kubrick's work. Um, moments like when the soldiers are infiltrating the military base instantly helped me like remember, recall, uh, scenes in full metal jacket when they're pushing up against the tower, right? Like yeah, yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the cinematography, in that and the way that it shot like low to the ground and with the soldiers on the floor, like, I don't know. I was like, this is totally the, the proving ground for the next projects without probably Kubrick even knowing that he was going to dive into some of those movies. Right. Um, but you can feel a sense of creativity that splattered all over this movie, uh, in so many different directions that I think it's not his strongest film, but you have to realize that I think a, a, a creative like himself, like it's sort of like this wild mesh of so many things that he's trying. Um, almost like a Kubrick charcuterie plate is kind of how I feel about this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where it's a just bit. Yeah. a lot of different things that he's known for, not necessarily done super well. And although he he served prosciutto on this plate at this time, in the future he's gonna make a steak because he understands meat now. You know, like that's that's kind of how I see Strange Love. Um, that's that's my kind of uneducated thoughts on it in the context of Kubrick. 
because I have more experience, I feel like I'm able to make that claim with his films. But personally, I wasn't the biggest fan of this movie. Um, I, I've been having a hard time trying to figure out why I'm not so compelled by it. I don't feel a drive to want to talk about this movie with people. Um, and I've tried actually, I've talked to some older people about it just because I was like, Hey, you know, I'm watching Kubrick films. Have you, have you heard of this one? They're like, Oh yeah. I remember, I remember that movie. And I was like, yeah, like you remember what it's about? And they're like, um, they, they can like, they basically like never tell me what it is. So hmm. I don't, I don't know. Like it's, I find it, I find it to be like a little bit difficult for me to recommend outside of the exploration of Kubrick as a filmmaker. Um, I do think that there are things in this movie that I guess a normal or casual film viewer could enjoy, but I don't think the package for me like permeates as like a for, for like the modern casual viewing audience. I like, I've been wowed by a lot of old movies before. And a lot of the time this film felt like a black and white movie that I didn't want to watch, um, hmm. which I was, I was surprised for. Cause I, I, I was kind of excited to watch this movie. I felt like it had a lot of um, mystery around it. I, I kind of like the title alone is like very odd. And from the start with the cold war setting, I was like, this is awesome like i love the cold war thing um but as the characters are trying to land some jokes or make some witty comments i was like i think this is just older and i don't i'm not like laughing as hard because maybe they're referencing things that are from too far away maybe i'm not picking up on some of the cues that they're like like moments where the general is like smoking his cigar and like there's like this close up on his face and he's very, you know, he's very like animated with his cigar. I'm like, I don't I don't know if he's supposed to be crazy or if this is supposed to be funny um, or if there's like other other parts where like um, like where they're they're all reading the code over and over again they're like does this code say what it's supposed to say well let me read that jack let me see if that's if that's really says what it's supposed to say you know and they're they're all looking at the book confused and stuff and i'm like i don't i don't know what i'm supposed to be feeling right now well the, at all i would say the know? first the first half basically not half maybe basically until they get into the war room um nothing is really supposed to be funny um that that is all set up to what is going to be the satirical um, element to the movie, which is there's a train that we can't stop. Um, and sort of what is uh, in, in the same way that um, did you watch, you watched um, uh, uh, the death of Stalin, right? Right. Right. Um, the, the humor in that, in that movie is the, it's, it's more situational humor about mm-hmm. how bumbling the, um, the idiots of, you know, this autocracy are basically, um, in, and this is very similarly structured in that the, the setup is the serious part of the movie, obviously, um, you know, with, with, uh, uh, 
general ripper being um insane basically uh and everybody else reacting around him um you know giving these commands and and the the scene in the plane you know beforehand i don't think any of those scenes are actually supposed to be funny um the the sequences in the plane but the the first part of it uh is to show sort of the gravity of the situation that they're they think that it's it's a joke. They think that it's that you know there's something that it, you know oh you know stop fooling around basically, um, but it is serious. And then from there, that's where the humorous element comes in when they're all reacting. Like I think I think the humor comes from when they're having like <laughs> the president is having a, a you know a phone call with the with the Russian president who you know and they're having they have to go back and forth with like courtesies and being like, Oh, well I'm, I'm very pleased to, to talk to you, you know, as, as they're he heading towards, you know, n nuclear destruction basically. Um, and so in, in my mind, that's sort of where he pulls out the humor. Um, also I, I do think, um, I think everything in the sequence where they're raiding the, the compound, Everything that happens with Ripper and uh, and Mandrake, I think is hilarious. I think it's so funny um, when he's he's talking about his bodily fluids um, and about how the Russians are going to take his bodily fluids. Like it's 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 hilarious. It's I don't know. There's there's something about the absurdity of of the moment. Um, you know where he's shooting out the window and he, and he's he's ranting about. Uh, the Russians and, and his fluids. Um, and Peter Sellers is basically just like, I, I need to get out of here. <laughs> like I need, I need to get right. the code and stop it. And then, you know, eventually uh, the, um, I think the, the most, the closest to Wilder um, that this movie comes is the sequence where he's, um, he's in the, he's in the phone booth and he's trying to get to the president and, uh, and he doesn't have enough change <laughs> and he has to have the, the, the guy shoot out the Coca-Cola machine, <laughs> and uh, you know, and he's like, if, if you don't, if you don't get the president on the phone, you're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. You right, know, it's just, right. there's, there's so there's funny moments where it's not, it's not about necessarily the, the characters being funny, um, cause the characters are all stupid, obviously. Um, the humor is about the, the tenseness of the situation basically. Um, and about how people are acting so incredibly stupid within the, the, the context of it being, um, on the precipice of nuclear war basically. Um, so yeah, that, I mean I don't know if it was that, like, I was invested in what was going to happen or I had a stick up my butt or I, I have no idea, you know, like, but I mean, the Coca-Cola line when he's like, you're going to have to answer to Coca-Cola and then it cuts. I just remember sitting there and being like, OK, like, I, I just I don't know. Like, I, I don't know why I didn't respond in in humor. This like the movie didn't click with me in a comedic way and i think it, it could possibly be just a subjective issue or an issue of 
me being tired, but I had the space to watch the movie. I wasn't in a rush. I watched it last night. I was very, I was having a good time. I ate chicken nuggets with it. Like it was fun. You know, I was like, this is getting me a good time. And the whole time I was just sitting there like, it's not clicking with me. And I think that happens to with people sometimes when they watch films and it's, it's like, it reminds me of when you're excited to show someone a song that you've been listening to. Right. And you're like, you got to hear this, man. Like, it's so good. And so you start playing the song and the person's like, this is okay, I guess, you know. And I felt like I'm the guy who's like, this is okay, I guess. And I can't tell if it's something wrong with me or if there's something about the age of this movie. But I found myself thinking about how the movie felt like an old movie a lot more than I probably should have. And I. The, the interesting parts of it were more of the, um, I guess, kind of a historical consideration for the time that it came out, right? And the state of what people were thinking about at the time mixed with such, quite quite frankly, sort of absurd, um, like, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, ju- just like Dr. Strangelove alone it's it's pretty I, to me like I'm like this I feel like for the 60s it might be a little offensive for some people still you know yeah I think and it so, was and yeah. so for me to see it like with kind of that historical interest I'm like this is kind of cool that it, that, that they're going this far uh, that that it's something uh, that they had to disclaim at the beginning of the film saying it's not really supposed to represent anything I noticed they didn't really say <laughs> Russians. Uh, they said Ruskies almost like the entire film. And I don't know if they actually ever say the word Russia. But yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think you might be right. Yeah. So I, I, I found some of those small like historical things more fascinating. Um, yeah, I just I. I've watched black and white movies that have blown me away. Um in a in a timeless way with their comedy uh in a timeless way with their dialogue and so i don't know if there's something not timeless about it or if there's something wrong with me but i'm not i'm just not sure um so i'm not going to say that the movie's bad by any means i think the little the 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 praises that i give it now are clear it's like the historical consideration um the consideration for Kubrick's work and how this movie kind of projects into his other works. Um, I just, it's hard for me because it's like all the things I like about this movie are kind of nerdy film analysis bits, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I actually like the movie, you know, (laughs) like, like that, that, that's kind of how, and, and that's what so much of this podcast is about for us. Cameron is, it's like people can analyze films up to a pedestal of praise, you know? Um, and I don't think that this movie is bad by any means, but am I in love with it for analyzing it or did I actually sit through it and enjoy it? And I don't know if I sat through and enjoyed it. You know, hmm. that's uh, mildly disappointing because I think this movie does have something that is um, 
this is a movie that I that I look back at and think there's something timeless about. Mm. Um, in and it could be my own perspective, uh, but I think there is something. Um, it could be we're maybe disconnected, I guess, from the era. Um, but there there is something very um, funny about the situation. I think there's something very stylistic um, about how Kubrick puts it across. Um, and I think even the tension of sort of the drama of what's happening, like even as a, um, you know, quote unquote comedy, like it still is a very thrilling movie in a lot of ways. Um, and it has a sense of, um, propulsion to it that I, I think is not very common of, uh, movies of this, maybe starting to get around movies of this era, but, um, you know, older movies, quote unquote, um, you know, they, they didn't really have this sense of the same sense of, um, forward movement that I think this movie does. And, and I think the, I think how it's put together is really brilliant too, because there is, you know, obviously there's three storylines going on all, all at once. Um, and, uh, they're all heading towards one direction to, you know, stop whatever's going on, uh, to stop the bombing. Um, and the, the, the train is going to keep going in the same way that, uh, with paths of glory, there's like a sense of inevitability about it. Right. You know, there's a sense that, that they are, they're going to die, but you want you, there's like a little hope in your mind. There's a little glimmer that, you know, they're going to be able to stop the bomb. Like the, the, of course they are. And every, every turn, you know, every moment it gets less and less likely that they're going to stop things. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's so brilliantly done in that way um, as kind of as a, a almost a Cold War thriller. And the way that there is, like you were saying, where, um, you know, a movie that a horror movie that has sort of a tension and a release um, is is more maybe not more palatable, but there's something tangible about that where it, it feels like there's something um there's something maybe to look forward to, or there's something to, to sort of latch on through the, the horrificness that you see, you know, in this movie, I think it's the same way. There's, there's something to, um, to, to, there's a humor about what's happening that would otherwise, you know, it's, it's the phrase, um, you know, if, if you, if you can't laugh, then you have to cry, you know, basically it's, it's like this, this is such a horrifying situation, you know, total nuclear annihilation that the, the only thing to do about it is to, to, to laugh, um, and to satirize it. And so there, there, to me, there's, I think there is something timeless about it. Um, that doesn't, I don't think it really does reflect its age. So I'm I'm a little surprised to hear you say that because I think um I think we've watched movies that are much more um old feeling I guess hmm. uh where that that wasn't the criticism but um yeah that's that's pretty curious and and also you know something like I feel like something like Casablanca which you know I know you really connected with um is a very 
it's a very simple movie and very gorgeous and well done. Um, but, but it's very like, uh, it's very hopeful in, in a lot of ways. Um, and this movie, I think it doesn't feel like an old movie like that because it's so cynical, um, in the very classic Kubrick way. Um, and I would say, you know, we probably live in a more cynical time than he lived in, in 1964 when he made this movie. So, um, I think that still relates personally, but, um, well with paths of glory, I definitely felt that Kubrick did something that I never experienced in a Kubrick film, which, well, no, that's not true. Then not never experienced, but it, I think it was very prominent in paths of glory. There is a cynical, but very like human love despite the cynical view. Do you know what I mean? Like there was something very, um, I don't know. Paths of glory to me, like it, it cuts at something deep that's in all of us. You know, this film, I didn't feel so much of the human drive. Cause when you're talking about Casablanca, the first thing I thought about is how much I fell in love with Humphrey Bogart's character. Mm hmm. It wasn't necessarily what the movie was saying. It was that I was I was immersed by a a character that I I felt like I could connect with. You know, I felt sure. like I could believe. And this movie, I never knew who that character I was supposed to be behind was. Or it wasn't even that I needed to be behind. It was like watching kind of like Muppets in some regard, like in this crazy situation. But there's never like kind of a protagonist character or anything like that. There's never... Um, I, I For me, I never felt like there was like this... It, it felt like there was a little bit of like a human distancing. Even a movie like Death of Stalin, they're bumbling idiots, but they're so charismatic and and interesting in in that comedy where i'm like there's something drawing me in about these these men who are backstabbing each other and f clawing for life and they're all witty and snapping at each other too at the same time you know um where this movie it was like it's a bunch of clowns who are trying to fix a problem that they can't fix and I don't know who or what I'm supposed to care about. And maybe I'm just supposed to chuckle, you know, but it's not for me. It's not, um, it's not rare for a Kubrick film to feel like it's kind of alienating a human element. There's something otherworldly <laughs> about yeah. his perspective. Well, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. Um, and so like, to me, I'm like, it feels like Kubrick, you know, uh, it didn't really connect with me, but as I'm thinking about it out loud in, in this, in this point, right. It's like, I have seen Kubrick hit at a human thing. He's not always an alien paths of glory. I think proves that I even think that there are, there are, there are moments in 2001 where you really feel like there, there's really something very human about like, 
uh, I guess artificial intelligence versus like human life and and like the soul, you know. And so I think he has moments where he's able to do that, right? And so this movie, it kind of feels like a a very weird. I don't know. Like it wasn't, it wasn't very, it, well, to me, like I I didn't find it all that funny, but it's also like the characters are all designed around that too. So like, if I'm not laughing, then what am I feeling towards the characters? It's not their career. It's not really their charisma or their like human heart or something that's coming through the screen. It's supposed to be the comedy, but that's not really doing anything for me. So I'm kind of like, I'm left with not much. Right. Um, besides, you know, the Kubrick analysis, the kind of the historical interest, um, maybe there's some cine- cinematography I can really love in there or, you know, pick out things that I'll see in the future from Kubrick. But um, yeah, maybe maybe this movie was missing. Um, it's it's Kirk Douglas Lee, like that character that kind of pulls heart into the film, you know? I don't think so because I think I think this movie is is pure cynicism, um, which is which is par- partially the point of why it's it's a satire. It is it's so um, it's so critical of the people who are there that having someone be like the good guy. Oh well, and and to be fair, um, so I don't know if you know this, um, if you picked up on this, but um, Peter Sellers actually plays three characters in this movie. Uh, can you name them? No, I don't. I don't. I don't know any of the actors or actresses. So no Peter idea. Sellers plays um, uh, Mandrake, who's the the British officer who's stuck inside the uh, um, right, uh, stuck inside the the office with uh, with Ripper. Um, he also plays the president. And he also plays Doctor Strangelove. Um, okay, wow. So, so quite a tri- triple feature of his. Um, I think he's like fantastic in in all of those roles. Um, I think well, maybe it, good good enough to fool me. I mean, I thought there were three separate people. So. Yeah, you had no idea. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I think I think his his character as the president is um, maybe my favorite of the three. All three of them are are pretty standout, but um, I w- I was gonna say sort of the president as is the most um, maybe understandable character in the movie. There's something about him that uh, while he is kind of spineless in some ways, um, he is put in such a terrible situation that you have no you basically have nothing but sympathy for him throughout the movie um and he's he's really he's doing his best to <laughs> reverse course in the situation um and i think um he brings a certain amount of humanness to um to to the movie but in a way that is so that is very helpless in in the same way which is i think kubrick's critique of you know what he finds so terrifying is because there's a this is the system of um unaccountability where you know someone like the president who maybe be who maybe is well-intentioned um basically has no has no ability to stop what 
he's put into motion basically. Um, and, and I think he's criticizing the machine in a way that there is, um, there's a possibility where there is no turning back essentially. And, and I think his point is that we're at that point essentially. Um, but, but I think, I think having a, a Kirk Douglas hero, um, would be pretty counter to the narrative of what, of what Kubrick is trying to say, um, which is basically like, we're, 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 we're stuck. We are in a situation that is far greater than we can understand. Um, and far greater than any one person really can, can affect. Um, so I, I don't think having a protagonist would really be, um, particularly helpful in, in you know in this situation that might be true but i'm just i think the only reason i brought it up is because i'm like it might have been helpful for me sure not not, not that it, it actually helps the movie by itself and i want to i want to make this clear cameron i i actually like i don't disagree with anything that you're saying um, I'm more interested in why, like you love this film and how it speaks to you. I'm not, I'm not here to tell people that this movie is bad and that they shouldn't watch it. Um, I'm just trying to dissect why it didn't click with me because I've only heard good things about this movie, even though I didn't know very much about it. Right. Um, so I just, I think like if you're listening to the show and you're, and you haven't seen it hearing kind of the two perspectives and then to go in and watch it. Like I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this movie is going to be something special for you. Um, but that, I mean, that's kind of like the pitch of this show, you know, um, right at the, at the end of the day. So I don't know, like I'm, I'm hesitantly unable to like fully recommend this movie for people who are trying to explore like older films just because of my experience. But I, I value kind of Cameron's sales pitch for it, you know, where, where you're like, there's, there's a lot to love there. And I don't know, like maybe if I had had this conversation going into it, I would have like, it would, I would be, it would be easier for me to um, go into a first viewing, you know, um, I, I mean, what do you, what do you think of kind of like our contrasting thoughts, Kevin? Um, well, I think, I think this movie might, um, benefit from multiple viewings. Um, I guess I say that about a lot of films, but, um, for me, I mean, I, I watched this, this is the only the second time I've seen this. So I, I watched it the first time, um, in high school, I think. And I, I didn't really, not that I didn't care about it necessarily, but, um, I had more of an intellectual reaction to it. Whereas this time I w I was much more into how funny it was, um, mm -hmm. and how clever it, it's commentary was. And some of the smaller details um, that I probably aren't smaller to most people, but for me, I didn't really catch on to, I guess, because I was so young when I watched it. But the fact that um, <laughs> the the fact that Doctor Strangelove is like an avowed ex-Nazi who is like 
like totally like getting a, a a fourth Reich boner over this situation is it's pretty funny. Um, and there's something there's something to that character that um, I didn't not that I didn't necessarily that the, like I didn't understand. Like I I knew that he was a Nazi. Um, it's obvious, but th- there's something uh, there's like a lot of innuendo in that in that sequence um where he's like try really trying to to hold down his arm from <laughs> from sig hailing uh, you know it's like right, it's, right. It, it's like there's there's much of that um i think some of the humor especially some maybe more of the the um maybe more of the sexual humor i guess um didn't really um i didn't really understand i guess um Whereas this time it was, it was very funny, uh, to me in a, in a, in a less like a juvenile way and a more like, um, <laughs> like Kubrick is, is very common, is commentating on the, um, attitudes of the era, which I think is, is very interesting. Um, so. Yeah, I I probably would enjoy this film more on a second viewing with some more context. I think this film would have been fun to watch, Cameron, with you in person. I actually, probably. I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah, um, I'm sure you would. Yeah, I just, I think there's, there's things about this movie that um, watching alone with chicken nuggets, it just doesn't hit right. <laughs> Maybe that's, it was the that's wrong That's probably cuisine, true. That's probably true. You know? Um, I I guess that is a good well I don't know. It is a weird movie to recommend. It's not like it's not like Zoolander or something, you know. It's not like a movie that you're <laughs> like a, Why is I, that movie on your on your on your brain, Cameron? <laughs> I don't know. What's I'm just saying it's not like like I could I would you know, for like a dumb movie to put on Actually, Hot Fuzz is a way better example. That's a movie sure. that I would put on with any group of people and be like this this is the best movie ever. Um, you're gonna laugh. It's gonna be amazing. Um, it's also a very Cameron choice. So I guess, yeah. But <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but it is but it is funny. It's like a crowd pleasing kind of movie. You know, it is hilarious. Um, this movie I don't think is very funny until like halfway. It's not like <laughs> I wouldn't say you could put this on with a group of people and be like, "All right, guys, let's watch." <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Strange love. Right. Like I, I think most people would be like, okay, this is not that funny. Um or it would be like, why are we watching this old movie, basically? But if you yeah. if there is a certain group of people that I think you can get together and watch this movie with. Um I think I would say the same thing about uh the death of Stalin too. I don't think that's a movie maybe for most people. Um, I agree. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a movie that most people would find funny. I uh, also agree with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I find it hilarious and like the best thing ever. But I think a lot of people would probably be um, confused or disturbed by the movie. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, th- I think this movie is kind of similar in that I think it's hilarious, uh, but I. I don't know if I would say everybody would think it's hilarious. Um, which, you know, I guess you're a good, um, 
barometer for that maybe <laughs> maybe i don't know comedy's comedy's difficult for me because i have very bad stoner humor Usually sure. If yeah. Something something is so stupid. I'll usually laugh at it. <laughs> That's um, true. Yeah, we've watched can, uh, we've watched Hot Rod together. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, one of my favorites for sure. So I just probably you know, uh, unvalidified my 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 uh, authority on talking about this film. But I, yeah, I mean, I agree with you and kind of what you're saying about Death of Stalin because that that movie to me has some of the same energy that this movie has. And I know exactly what you're saying where it's like, you can't really recommend that movie for a lot of people. I remember you recommended it to me, Cameron. You're like, this is my favorite movie this year. Uh, that okay. I've that's seen. not it's a great. recommendation though. <laughs> what? Just to, just to say, I said, I did say it was my favorite movie of this year. I think I said it's my favorite movie of the decade. Uh, but that does not, necessarily mean that i was recommending it to you but (laughs) sure sure but my thought was well i know cameron and i know what cameron likes yeah sure and if i know cameron likes hot fuzz i can walk in expecting something kind of like that right um no and so and i wasn't no well i wasn't disappointed for me like the death of stalin was a great experience where i'm like i told i get it i get why this is up cameron's alley we've known each other for a long time and i was also pretty fascinated by by um by that movie and it's it's yeah it's one of those like i was i remember i watched it and then i tried to watch it with glenn a few months later and he was just confused he was like (laughs) i don't so they're gonna perform the thing the performance again and i was like yeah i get it like they're scared and he was like I guess, I guess, you know, <laughs> I was like, like, so yeah, I mean, maybe this movie is, is, is in a similar vein to, to that film. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I just was not in the, in the right mindset. As a matter of fact, I'm sure I wasn't in the right mindset for it, but it doesn't take away from still some of the respect I was able to draw from the movie. Um, just with some of the opening thoughts that I that I brought into the conversation, Cameron, is there anything else you want to touch on with Doctor Strange Love? Any facts or bits about Kubrick as we move on? Um, I did want to just mention uh, there's someone very famous in this movie um, who he has a very famous voice. I'll let you guess, James Earl Jones. It. Yeah, um, I mean, I saw him in the credits. Did you recognize him by his voice though? Because it, no. it is pretty recognizable. He's he's one of the um, people on the on the plane, on the bomber, um, and he when his voice is in the radio, you're like, wow, that is Darth Vader. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. Su- it's super recognizable to me, at least. Um, also, one thing that I thought was kind of funny. Um, there's a there's a quick uh, shot of. Um, it's, it's like a playboy magazine in the opening. Um, and, uh, it's like the centerfold. Um, and that is the secretary, um, of the, uh, the secretary who we see kind of later on, um, which I just thought was a funny, um, little inclusion. Um, yeah, it's, I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be like a, 
like a continuity thing or anything. Like, I don't think she's supposed to be the secretary too, but I just thought it was funny. Um, when, also, when the secretary showed up, I was like, that would be Tim's on Tim's list of hot women that are too old or dead. That for is him to date. so true. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, another um, quick thing to mention, obviously, um, I don't know if you picked up on this, but um, General Ripper's full name is Jack D. Ripper. Okay. <laughs> Which is, which is just a hilarious little uh, play. I just think it's so funny. Um, but th- this is why I think Kubrick's humor is very—it's um, kind of obtuse in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the fact that he casts Peter Sellers as three characters um, who are all kind of manic and insane, um, but also like very the most human elements of the movie um is is very funny i i uh i appreciate him in this movie um (laughs) a lot also um one thing that i was reading about the production of the movie was that um sellers as dr strange love um was very uh he he improvised all of his dialogue basically um Hmm. which is pretty much a kubrick no-no if you have ever experienced, you know, anything regarding Kubrick as sort of the the auteur, you'll know that he is infamous basically for making people do multiple takes of the same thing um, over and over again to get this, you know, to get the right take. Um, but for Sellers, he actually let him go a little bit rogue as Dr. Strangelove. Um, and, I don't know if he was necessarily happy about doing that, but I think it was definitely a negotiation between him and Sellers being, um, you know, I think, I think Sellers had a, had a vision that he could only really make a joke or make a, do a line or, you know, do something zany with, with Dr. Strangelove in one or two moments. Like he really had to get into the character for that. Um, and I think it's surprising to me, maybe this is young Kubrick um, before he gets very um, <laughs> uh, strict about the way that he directs. But I, it was surprising to me to find out that he he actually let him um, improvise and let him do only a couple takes of uh, him as, as Strangelove. So those were the things that I found interesting, uh, just reading a little bit on it. Um, yeah, anything else you have to say? Yeah, I I think the movie's visual effects are kind of interesting to look at from, you know, the airplane model on the screen being pretty dated compared to the rest of the look and feel of the combat being very, like, real kind of feeling. These guys are, like, shooting and explode. The car's on fire. I love that shot with the soldier out of focus and the car's on fire and he's, like, shooting away. I don't, or maybe he's in focus and the car's out of focus. I don't remember. Um, but there's some pretty cool visual effects mixed in with some things that are very dated, but still ambitious. Well, um, I would say, to- uh, you know, t- talking about things that will come up in, you know, other Kubrick movies, obviously this was, you know, I think this was his first experiment doing that sort of um, model plus rear screen projection type right. thing. 
Um, right. And then obviously in in four years that gets you know notched up to to twelve basically in uh, two thousand one. So um, right. You know, this this is where you see that that sort of him stretching his legs, him yeah. finding his feet in some ways. Um, I think you're right that that the model does look um, a bit dated. Um, but I think there are some moments that are really stunning with the aerial effects um, and still pretty impressive, I would say. Yeah, I. Um, there was one more thing I want to talk about the ending of the movie. Um, I guess full spoilers, right? Very famous death cowboy guy riding the nuke, which is pretty funny, wild. I remember the first time I saw that clip thinking, this has got to be one of those old movies that like is just terrible, you know? <laughs> I remember thinking that. I was like, this must be like one of the B films, like trash. And so when this when this moment happened in the film, I was like, wow, this is a from a Kubrick movie? Are you serious? You know, like I was so shocked um, just in that sense. And then um, I think, you know, the nukes going off with the the song choice, probably one of the most beautiful moments in the movie. Yeah, um, it's pretty awesome. Because it's, it really does. Uh, there's something about the song and the footage, which is very... Uh, I'm assuming is real footage of nuke mm-hmm. tests, yeah. right? It it starts to turn your gut a lot. Um, at, at, to me, at least, towards the end of the film, to see those bombs go off, like I wasn't laughing. I was like, "Yeah, this is like this is this is where you know the 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 commentary is." like a closed case, you know? And, and that was one of the things that I was thinking about with paths of glory is how Kubrick was able to rally you behind an idea, uh, that's very anti-war and, and very like anti, um, I guess political leadership. Right. And the injustices that come with that. And it lets you feel that that's what we were talking about last uh, episode is that it's not that people dis really disagree with that sentiment. I think it just lets you feel angry in 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 that injustice, right? Whereas this movie, I think it's taking a side that some people might not fully agree with, and it finishes the argument with scenes that I think are like you can't really disagree with how terrifying this is. You know, yeah, like, yeah, you know, and it's sort of like I'm gonna, it, it's like Kubrick's like, I are, I picked a side, you know, what side I'm on. And if you don't agree with me, you really want to defend this, you know, it's like kind of like the last statements of, of the movie for, for me at least, like just thinking about it. And I was like, wow, like that to me, I think that the ending, um, it, was it, 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 it was good. I like that part. And I think the, um, the final lines of strange love being um, kind of a comedic line. It's not really, um, it's not a very funny moment in the, in the movie, but it's such a hard cut to that, um, to that sort of final montage that there, there is something very dark about him standing up and say, he's, he's 
again, full spoilers. He stands up and he says, Mein Fuhrer, I can walk. And then it cuts to just the bombs. And you're like, geez, there's like, <laughs> there's something, there's something very, very dark about it. It's, it's like the, it's the full cynicism on display. Um, yeah, it's like the, the evil that was bubbling bubbling the, under the surface yeah yeah it erupts in an explosion in a big uh mushroom cloud yeah exactly that's that's totally right but it's also it's also like i don't know like there's there's some historical trauma that can be sort of read into that as well with strange love's character um being miraculously healed with the dropping of like nuclear weapons you know like it, it's kind of a strong statement to be like the evil everyone hated from world war ii exists in these bombs you know yeah uh, it's like yeah. it's a very um i don't know it's 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 pretty wild and i also was considering sort of the only nuclear bombs that were dropped in war uh, at the same time and how kubrick kind of relates that evil to the Nazis and how you can kind of begin to think about like, well, the U S dropped the nukes right in world war two. And of course I think there is history of Nazi scientists working on nukes as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. If not for the U S I thought, well, no, they, they, um, they had their own nuclear program. Um, right. So, yeah. I don't know. It's I think the the political statements at the end of the film are fascinating and and very um I find them pretty powerful in the context of of the the Cold War fear um of the 60s. Looking looking back and everything, I still think the argument um it it can still be felt today. So I, sure. I like the ending of the movie and I, I just wanted to, you know, talk about that before we closed up the show. Yeah. Cameron, anything else about Dr. Strange love? No. Um, no, that's all. I, I think it's, I think it's a great movie. Um, I do recommend it to people. So let's talk about what we're going to watch next week. Okay. So well, watch it. We're getting into some very strange Kubrick territory here because um, after this point, um, well, one, so this this is this is Kubrick's last black and white movie, first and foremost, um, and two, we've seen two thousand one, um, but kind of after two thousand one, he gets more and more alienating as things go along, and so that is very polarizing for a lot of people, and I think. Uh, well, I'd say, uh, we're, we're going to go into some deep waters. Um, okay. so next week is a clockwork orange, uh, very, very classic Kubrick movie loved and hated, um, by lots of people. So I would be surprised if you like this movie. Um, <laughs> so, uh, just be prepared for that. I myself am pretty mixed on it. Um, but I think there's something worthwhile to talk about with it. And I think there's, um, 
this movie is very controversial in a lot of ways. Um, so I'd love to talk about it with you and sort of get your perspective on it. Uh, my goal, I would like to revisit um, for you and for me, obviously, um, I'd like to revisit Full Metal Jacket um, along with the rest of the movies that we're watching. So I think what I will do, we've got four more weeks because I'm spilling into May. Um, sure. Uh, so I'd like to do A Clockwork Orange. Um, I'm split on if we should do Barry Lyndon, uh, because if we don't do Barry Lyndon, we could potentially get... We could do a review of The Shining, although I don't know if there's much to say. But Barry Lyndon is a very long uh, movie. <laughs> and again, not one that people... Um, the people are split on that movie as well, but, um, my plan I think is going to be a clockwork orange, Barry Lyndon, full metal jacket and eyes wide shut. Um, and I think okay. those are going, th that's going to be sort of the roadmap that we're going to be going through. Um, and I think that pretty much covers us on the major Kubrick movies. Um, Spartacus it, people don't really like that movie. Um, although it is very famous for that one scene where they all get up and they say, um, <laughs> they say I'm Spartacus. Um, that's basically the only part of the movie that, that people, uh, like, I guess. I, I don't even know. I, I think, I think people are not very happy about that movie. Um, and then Lolita, uh, I've never seen it, but, um, uh, it's pretty controversial, I guess. Uh, and I don't know that there's that much interesting to say about it. Um, people don't really seem to talk about it that much in terms of the Kubrick canon. So um, I think the ones that we've watched, uh, including The Shining, 2001, and, um, you know, for you, Full Metal Jacket, I think the core canon will be covered by the end of this month. So... Um, you will have seen basically the bulk of Kubrick's work um, and you can get, you can have a full perspective on him as an artist, which I think is pretty, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good thing to do. Yeah. I'm curious about um, a clockwork orange. I know that a lot of people hate this movie. I know that it's fairly explicit. I know that there's a rape scene that everyone talks about and I also know that the rapist is in the new Space Jam movie in the crowd. I'm not <laughs> sure why, but a lot of people are confused about that. Is that true? It is. Yeah, look it up. I didn't look see it the, up right now. I, I didn't see the new Space Jam. I know, I know. Just look up Space Jam Clockwork Orange. And the dude is like in the crowd for some reason. I'm not I don't know if they took him out or something. Okay, but, it's, uh, it looks like it's the gang. It's so, yeah. Well, I guess we'll we'll talk about it more. But yeah, it's the gang. the 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 thing about it is that the the iconography from A Clockwork Orange is very famous. I mean, it's like it's incredibly famous. So it it does not surprise me that a movie that is based off of cultural memes and cultural iconography um, is using. I guess that still is pretty surprising. <laughs> Never mind. Yes, yeah. A lot of people <laughs> had a lot to say about that on Twitter. <laughs> so fair enough. Um, is can I just ask? Is Clockwork Orange based on the book? Right. It There's is. A book. Yeah. It is a book. Yeah. 
Okay. I never had to read the book, so I am going in pretty unknowingly. I haven't read the book either. Um, I think there's deviations. Um, that is a major criticism that people have about Kubrick is that he doesn't, he's not very faithful to the source material usually, <laughs> even though right. m- much of his, much of his movies are based on, on books, but usually he takes some liberties. Even actually, even, um, Dr. Strangelove was based on a book called red alert. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that the book, um, I think there's like differences actually in the philosophies but i don't know because i haven't read the book but i think there's like like serious stylistic differences between the book and uh and the movie so well bring the heat next week cameron i want to i want to know some more stuff about the book too so do a little research with that i will um i think yeah i think i think we're gonna have an interesting talk because um this is maybe in the running for kubrick's least (laughs) human movie so okay yeah well that usually doesn't resonate with me but i will try my best and i appreciate the notice yeah you know so i'm gonna i'm gonna try my best for for the people of the that listen to this show uh this one's for you guys all right my <laughs> suffering it's been a while since i've suffered so it's true it's, it's for true. you guys um yep we try to post every monday we appreciate you guys supporting us again and listening this far on the show um, thank you to all of you guys who have continued to support over the last few years. Cameron, our show is like, we, we, we're doing pretty well in terms of streams. I don't know if we've been doing it. I mean, we're not doing amazing, but like, um, we've been doing it for more longer than everything comes from something. I think. Is that true? Almost. I'm not sure. I should check right now, actually. Um, but we've surpassed the streams by a decent amount i think yeah yeah that i would say that's not too surprising but um that's good by far by far by far so we did a hundred episodes for everything comes from something and i think the total count was i don't know it's been a while it's been a while since i've looked at that show but we didn't we didn't get too many streams but this show um we have surpassed by a decent amount if not double so um, Cameron, this is your brainchild. This is your baby. I just want to say congrats on air for, for, for putting in the hard work. And I think our show has a lot of interesting movies to talk about. Um, at least for like a modern viewer like myself, it seems like movie podcasts talk about, you know, the Northmen and Batman <laughs> and that's it. So I'm yeah, sure that there's that, more, there's more critical ones, but or, or more like, heady nerdy ones but you know that that is a good point and i think um i would say that we bring something a little bit different to the table because we are going through um our pretty classic catalog although we spice it up with some modern things as well and i think that's that's interesting to do um both and sort of talk about both i i like i like what we do and i think we have um we add a certain amount of value by bringing up so many weird old movies that deserve to be shined a light on. Um, mm. Just wait until we get into Ozu, and we, oh man, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about. I'm gonna be talking about bodily fluids then. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, Karen. Well, we post every Monday, guys. Thank you for the support, and we will see you next week. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.